It's amazing sometimes how things that we saw or did or heard in our childhood or in our younger years just kind of stick with us for a long time. That even many years later, you can remember them, and you don't know why you remember them. They might not even be all that important, but you remember them. One of those ones that sticks with me, and I don't know why, was one of those little hand game type things that you'd do with friends to tell a story. Maybe you remember this one where you'd, you'd have your hands like this, and you would say, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the doors, and there's all the people. Do you remember that one? You know, I didn't even really go to church as a kid, but I remember doing that. I don't know why I did it, but it seemed like it was something that kids did. It told a little story with, with your hands. And as that's stuck with me, as I now work in a church, as I believe the church is a great place, it also makes me question, well, what exactly is the church? Is it, you know, that building with the steeple, with, you know, the people inside? Is that what the church is? For a lot of us, that's what we think of. We think when we say, well, what is the church? We say, well, the church is around the corner, right? So Bromley is at Lauder and Bromley Road. And so when you're driving down, you say, well, someone goes, well, where is the church? Well, it's, you go to, you go down Maryvale, you, you hit Carling and, uh, you know, you eventually turn on Bromley Road and to Lauder and that's, that's where the church is. So some of us have an idea of location when we say, well, what is the church? Others might say, well, it's, the church is that building that looks like a church. So we have these ideas of a building with a steeple or a cross on it. And we go, well, that is a church. When we ask people, well, what, what is a church? Or when we wonder that ourselves, there's a lot of different ideas that might come up. And over the next few weeks, I really want to explore with you what the church actually is, according to the Bible, according to what Jesus invites us to be, and explore why that should be different than just a building or a place. And maybe has more to do with those people that we talk about being inside the church than anything else. The word church is an interesting one because in our Bible, the word comes up in the New Testament. And the word that gets translated from Greek is the word ecclesia. And the first time that word comes up is actually in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 16, there's a story where Jesus is interacting with his followers. And in 16, verse 13 says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the son of man is? So he's talking about himself. He's like, who, who do you, those of you who've been following me around, that we know there's at least 12 of them at this point. Those of you who've been following me around, who do you say I am? And they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist. And for those of us who are familiar, we know John the Baptist came up earlier. Uh, he was Jesus' cousin. He was out in the wilderness, and he was proclaiming the kingdom of God being near. And he invited people to repent, to turn away from their wrongdoings, and to focus on God, to bring them back to their beliefs and actions. But he was killed. He was actually beheaded. It's a tragic story of someone's pride and, and lust and all kinds of things. And you can read about that in your Bibles. And then he says, well, others say Elijah. Now, some of us are familiar with our Old Testament. Elijah, the story of Elijah the prophet, comes up in the book of Kings. And Elijah, 
challenged the people of his day, that it seemed like nobody was following God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, and he was fighting against these prophets of this false god, Baal, and there's amazing stories that unfold. And one of the interesting things about Elijah's story is it doesn't tell us of his death. It tells us of being caught up into heaven. And so people are saying, well, has Elijah come back? Maybe that's who it is. And then still others. So Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So they're saying, well, Jesus says, who do you say I am? And so, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, but we know John the Baptist is dead. And some people say Elijah, and there's tradition and story around Elijah coming back before the Messiah comes, and so that's an important note. And then he says, well, some people even say, well, you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. So they're likening him to a prophet. This is what they're saying. Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And they respond, well, people say you're a prophet. That's what people say you are. So, but what about you, he asks. Who do you say I am? So he asks them, like, who, who do, what does everybody think about me? Who are they saying I am? And they're saying, well, they say you're a prophet. And he says, well, what do you, what about you? What do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the one that they've been waited for, waiting for, the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So he's having a spiritual awakening. Simon is realizing that this man they've been following, who they've caught fish with, they bake bread together, they broke bread together, they've lived together for years at this point, traveling around the countryside. He's had a spiritual realization that God has given him that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. It says, and I tell you that you are Peter. So he was called Simon Peter, but he's saying, he's emphasizing that you are Peter, right? So it's a word in Greek that has to do with rock. So he's saying like you're solid, you know, this belief, this is solid. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you are loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he disordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So this amazing exchange occurs that Jesus says, well, what are people saying about me? And, and his followers say, well, they say you're a prophet. You're like John the Baptist. You're like Elijah. You're like Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asks them, well, who do you say I am? Like, what do you think about me? You know, you've been traveling around together, you've been eating together, you've been, you've been drinking together, you've been, you've been just together, seeing everything happen. Who do you say I am? And Simon speaks up in his boldness, and some of us who know the story of Simon Peter, uh, he was bold and rash at times, and he did some things that weren't always good. But he, he blurts it out, he says, well, you, you're the... Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are who everybody has been waiting for. So you're not just a prophet. You are the promise of God in the flesh. And Jesus says, wow, I can't believe you got it right. 
You know, this is obviously something that God has shown you. You've had a spiritual realization because you wouldn't figure it out on your own. God had to reveal this to you. And then he says that, you know what, your name is Simon Peter, but we're just going to stick with Peter because on that proclamation, on that rock, the church will be built. And Jesus uses this very specific, interesting word, ecclesia, to say the church. Now, this word church or ecclesia is not necessarily what we think of when we think of church. Not necessarily that building around that corner or that place that looks like that. Ecclesia had a very specific meaning in ancient Greek. It's, it's word, the word ecclesia is built into, from two words. First word is ek, uh, which is like out of, and the second word is kaleo, and it's to call. So the church is called out of, is a sense of what it's saying. And that word ecclesia was first used by the ancient Greeks in the 7th century BC to describe a group of men in particular who were 18 years and over, who had certain responsibilities in a political environment. They were a called out group who had the responsibility to have control over policies. So whatever was being proposed as a policy, they would help form it and shape it. They had the power to judge within those policies. And they would be basically like the public court. They would hear cases and they'd be able to say yes or no, guilty or not guilty. They would take part in actually the elections of those leaders who would help shape those policies. So they were choosing those people. And they had the ability to give special privileges to other people. So they would say like, okay, well, this person, we're going to exempt them from taxes for a season. They had that kind of power. So while the leaders might say, no, we got to tax them, they, this group, this ecclesia would say, no, actually, we're going to give them a break. Or they would say, hey, this person has a certain level of privilege, so they get more food than other people at this assembly. They were a group of men in particular who were taken out of the regular society, who were invited to lead and to govern and to judge on behalf of the leaders. And Jesus uses that word, ecclesia, to describe the group of people that are going to be assembled around this belief that he is the Messiah. Jesus says to Peter that the church, the ecclesia, will be this group of people who are called out, who create a community, who are committed to Christ and live like it. So just as the ancient Greeks' ecclesia had certain responsibilities within their society— they were meant to actually embedder their society by enforcing uh, their laws or to help ensure that the laws were enforced or to govern and give opportunity for people to experience relief and peace and hope. Just like that ancient Greek tradition of an ecclesia, this new group of people are being formed into a community that is committed to Christ and to live the principles of Jesus in the world around them. The word ecclesia gets used in the New Testament over and over again to describe the word church. That's how it's translated. 
And it doesn't mean a building, but it means a purposeful people who are empowered by God to live like Jesus. And as they live like Jesus, they are empowering others to become a purposeful people. And the world can be changed. That was Jesus's intention. He was in, had an intention to invite people to follow him. And as followers of him, we would live like him, speak like him, love like him, discern like him, act like him. And as we did that, we would invite other people into that. And as more and more people are invited into this life of following the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, of acknowledging our mistakes, our sins, our sinfulness, of receiving forgiveness from him, we would be empowered, emboldened to be his people and to change the world. When Jesus speaks of the ecclesia, this is the grouping of people he's speaking of, people who have a power and a responsibility based on the truth that he is the Messiah, and they need to live it out in the world around them. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the early followers of Jesus had to figure out what it means to be this ecclesia. In Acts 2.42, there's this amazing picture of what they did and how they cared for each other, how they made sure everybody had enough food, how they worshiped God together, they would sing, they would pray, how they would reflect on the teachings that God has given them in Jesus, and how they would care and be together in fellowship. And so this amazing picture of this early church seems to happen. These early followers started to live a certain way, and if you trace it, you see how society changed and changed and changed for the better. And in the ancient Roman world, where this early church was developing and figuring out what it meant to be these called out people, we were seeing how the world shifted and changed. There's two wonderful books out there. One is uh, by Rodney Stark. It's called The Rise of Christianity. And it paints a picture of how Christianity grew throughout the ages. And how it grew, yes, was based on teaching, but it was also based on the living out of the teachings. And so in communities in the first century world, in the second century world, in the third century world, and on and on and on, before Christianity took this place of power that maybe it should never have, we would see how the world would act very differently to people who were sick, people who were born deformed or, or mentally challenged, people who were dying, and they would basically cast these people out and just say, we don't want anything to do with you. But these early followers of Jesus would say, no, we value these people as people, and so we will care for them. The early church shifted how the world would think about people and began to care for people that were not cared for. And another book by Tom Holland uh, called Dominion, and Tom Holland is an atheist, so he doesn't believe in God. He actually paints this incredible picture through history, how in the first thousand years or so of Christianity, how it reformed the world, similar to Rodney Stark. And But what it did was it actually improved the quality of life of all people. And he argues that, and that, 
when Christianity is basically at its best, it is helping other people be the best people they can be and caring for people in all of their needs. And so this early called out community who is committed to Christ were individuals who came together and lived lives that were reshaping the world around them. When Jesus says to Peter that he is building his ecclesia on the principles of what Peter understood is that Jesus is the Messiah. He's allowing for an opportunity for the world to be reformed into the way God always intended it to be. And while there's no denying there are horrible, atrocious things that have happened in the history of Christianity, especially whenever the church aligned itself with political power, it was never good. But the reality is that the early church was not political in the sense that it was aligning itself with power. It was political in the sense that it was actually going against the power. And so the early church would actually not be what we see or have seen in the last maybe thousand years, where the church seems to enact on principles that the government and even themselves give them power and superiority. That was not the way of Jesus's church. And so as we, over the last few weeks, have been, again, more and more aware of the atrocities that have happened in Canada with the residential school system, where the church and the politicians aligned and gave power where there shouldn't have been power and enforced things that shouldn't have been enforced and were not actually principles of the early church or scripture at all, we see how horrible that can become. But that's not the church. That's not what the church should be. That church is an institution that exists in this world that where people take power and make it their priority. But that's not the way of Jesus. In fact, Jesus invites his church to make themselves nothing, to be below everybody else, to be humble, to be meek, to restrain their power, because that is the way of Jesus. And so in Scripture, when Jesus says, I am building my church. He's assembling this group of people who are meant to be called out from society who live and act differently than the society at large. But when the church in our present day world tries to be like those groups that have power or to align itself so it gets power and it's had power for way too many years, it goes against the principles that Jesus called the church to live by in the first place. The Apostle Paul uses the word ecclesia as well a few times in his letters to local assemblies, gatherings of followers of Jesus. And one of the ways he speaks about the church is in metaphor. And he tries to help people understand that the church is, is intertwined in many ways. One of those ways he speaks about it comes up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul speaks of the church as a body. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, he says this in verse 12, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its part, many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. 
For you were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Paul is giving this picture that the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, are a diverse group, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. In other places, he'll say man, woman, um, as well. And he will say that it's a diverse group that is called out and has purpose. This empowered people have a purpose to pursue, to live out, because they are called out. And so these people who make up the church, which guess what, is you and me, as well as the people he was writing to in the Corinthian community, each have in their diversity value to contribute to the whole. And no one part is more important than the other because they all make up the whole. But in making up the whole, they ultimately have to follow Christ. Paul will say Christ is the head, we are the body. And so we are to live and act in a way that is following the way of Jesus. That is what the called out people of God are meant to be. Another way Paul speaks of the church is found in the book of Ephesians, a letter he wrote to the church in Ephesus. And so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, he says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So some of you are more familiar with construction than I am, and you understand that in building buildings, particularly especially then, I don't know if it's still the same now, you would have this, this stone that would basically create the opportunity for every other stone to be put together. And that chief cornerstone, he's saying, is Christ. That Christ is that thing that's going to hold the whole building together and keep it level and the way it's supposed to be. He says, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul is saying in this sense that the church is like a building. It's not a building. It's like a building. It's a building that is built on the foundation of what we know to be taught to be true about Christ and the prophets and from the prophets and on Christ himself. And that building is meant to be a dwelling place for God. The imagery of the Old Testament temple is coming up here, where the Old Testament temple was the place where God would dwell. It would be the only place that God would interact, for the most part, with his people. And there would be a special holy of holies, the special place that only a few people could go at only special times. Some of us know at the end of Matthew's gospel, when Jesus dies, one of the things that happens is that curtain is torn in two and that holy of holies is opened up for everybody. The church is meant to be the place where God is present, but he's present in his people, not in a particular place. And so the picture that we are getting from the apostle Paul 
is that we are built together. We are pieces of this building that embodies God for the world around us. But it's only going to be secure. It's only going to be strong. It's only going to fulfill its purpose if it's built on that foundation of Christ and the teachings about him and of him. That that's the church. The church is this called out community who is committed to Christ. And when the church is being the church, the world can change for the better. As many historians and sociologists have already looked at in history, they've painted, they've helped us understand that it's actually true is that when followers of Jesus act like followers of Jesus, the world gets better. But when the church, the followers of Jesus, those called out that called out community that should be committed to Christ becomes committed to something else like power or prestige, status, even politics. The world does not get better. It gets worse. People get hurt. People die. People are abused. Worlds are destroyed. But when the church is being the church, it can change everything for the better. As we can look at here that the Bible calls the church to be that called out community that's committed to Christ, we're going to explore, well, what does the church really do? What happens in the church? We're going to explore, well, why does the church sometimes harm and hurt people? And we're going to explore why should we even bother being committed to a church or going to a church if the church is just people and people anywhere. And as we dive into this over the next month, I want us to be thinking, well, how do we be the church? If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, like Peter proclaimed, that he was the chosen one of God, who is actually God in the flesh, who came to the earth, who died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins, for the healing and hope of our lives and of the world. If you believe that to be true, if you follow Jesus as Lord, meaning you are committed to him as the guide, as the head, as that cornerstone, then you are part of the church. And as part of the church, you are equally connected to the people who are doing bad as are doing good. And you are equally should be equally committed to making the church the best it can be. So what does it mean that you are the church? Are you a called out community who is committed to Christ and his teachings? Or are you living like something else? That is what we have to ask ourselves. If we are the church, are we acting like it? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have called us out to be this ecclesia, these called out people. You have formed us into community, and not just community with the people we know, but we're actually connected to a community that is global, that is larger than our understanding. And it is only through you, Holy Spirit, that we have this connection, even if we're not aware of it all the time. As we explore 
what the church is, God, as we explore why we go to church or what it means to participate or be connected, as we admit our faults and repent of our sins as the church, I pray, Holy Spirit, that our hearts and minds are open to what you planned all along for your people. What does it look like to be your church? Built on the foundation, the truth of Jesus Christ. Acknowledging our sin, receiving that forgiveness through your death and resurrection, Christ. But also being empowered to have life in all of its fullness, like you offer us and living in step with you, Holy Spirit. Help us to know what it means to be your church and to live like it. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.